Hi, travelers. You can listen to us on your travels on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, and more. Make sure you check out our link tree in the description of this episode where you can find the links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter accounts. Okay, we now head to the West Coast and talk to Kenny Carraway from 1320 ESPN, host of D'Lo and KC, 12 to 4 on uh, on the station, Pacific Time. Check that out, Audacity. Great show. You do some great work, Kenny. Uh, love having you on and excited to talk some uh 49ers. We'll start with the 49ers, get into some Kings later, and then maybe some Gi- even some Giants uh, baseball at the very end. Missed the playoffs, oh, obviously, oh, do, this year. Do we, do we have to? Do we have to talk very about little bit, bums? Very little bit. Very little bit. I love them, but there's some bums right now. Got it. A lot of other fans love them, too. So we got to give the fans a little bit what they want, right? Hopefully next year they can make <laughs> it. Just missed it this year. But like I said, we're going to start with the 49ers. Best team in uh, football, in my opinion. Uh, a lot of people would also say that. I know the Dolphins, Cowboys are up there too. Eagles are up there. Bills are up there. But in my personal opinion, the 49ers are the best team. So I'm going to start it off really general with you right now, and then we can kind of get more specific as we go along. Why, in your opinion, are the 49ers the best team right now? Uh, I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind is, I mean, the, the roster's loaded on both sides of the ball. I mean, the offensive weaponry they have with McCaffrey, obviously, Debo, Kittle, I mean, they can go a game like they did last week where Debo Samuel, think about this. Debo Samuel don't have a catch. You know, he was used as a decoy. And they dominate the Arizona Cardinals. That's the type of weaponry they have on the offensive end. I've been a big believer in Brock Purdy probably since probably since the Seahawks game on Thursday night last year. Uh, game he went in there with, I think his ribs were broken or they were really bruised or something like that. We didn't really know it at the time, but the way he performed in that game on a short week to win the NFC West, it showed me a lot. I've been a big believer in him ever since. Um, He is, we were doing this exercise on the show uh, yesterday, he is a top 10 quarterback right now in this league, you know, the the way he's performing. And, you know, you have all that, and we didn't even get into the defense. You know, you have Nick Bosa. You have Javon Hargrave, the grave digger. You got Eric Armstead. You got Fred Warner, who, if he's not the best linebacker in the game, he's top three, you know, in the game right now. You got Traverius Ward, who's one of the most underrated corners in the game today, and Talanau Hufanga, who's an all-pro at the safety. So at every level on both sides of the ball, they have all-pro-type players. And one of the things that I thought about, you know, going into this season that this seemed to come to fruition is the last two years, it's really seemed to hurt them not to have home field advantage. And it really seemed to hurt them to start off slow, whether it was three and five and, you know, then they got to win uh, 10 of their last 11 or whatever the number is to, to, to um, you know, make this push towards the playoffs or last year, you know, they start off one and two, mm-hmm. I think it was. And, um, you know, the slow starts just in general uh, have kind of hurt them in terms of home field advantage. I figured that this team, let alone Kyle Shanahan, but this team was going to start this season off saying, no slow starts. Let's start off strong. Let's enforce our will from the start. And that's exactly what they've done, you know. So um, I, I do think they're the best team in football. This is the best, this is the best opportunity this team has had in probably close to 30 30 years to win a Super Bowl. This is the best team they've had since the 95 team. You can make the argument the team in 2012, the second year of Harbaugh, might have been um, just as good. Um, but for argument's sake, this is the best opportunity they've had to win a Super Bowl in 30 years. Yeah, let's get back to that. Because I did say a little bit back earlier what you were saying about the teams they played so far. And I did say earlier how a lot of people actually don't have them as number one in their power rankings, mm-hmm. but I do. Do you think that's also, do you think that's why they don't have them as number one? I mean, they played the Steelers, really not a good team, especially on offense. Uh, mm-hmm. Rams second week, and then Giants and Cardinals third and fourth. Rams definitely the best team they played so far. But in the 49ers' offense, they also have blown out the teams that they are supposed to play up, you know, they're supposed to have blown right. out. So like Steelers 30 to 7, Giants 30 to 12, and then Cardinals 36 to 16. And then uh Rams gave them a little bit more of a run for their money. But like I said, the Rams I think actually are a pretty good team this year. Um, is that why I mean are you excited to see their run coming up here? I mean, Cowboys coming up Sunday night, obviously. Uh Vikings, I think, are still a good team despite their record. I mean, they play them uh week seven. Uh Jaguars coming up, Buccaneers aren't bad either. Are you excited for them to start playing some 
better teams and then getting more recognition and more respect that they should be getting? You, you know what? The, the funny thing about that is on one hand, I think about uh, Brock Purdy and I think Brock Purdy's good. He didn't have to prove anything to me, but I'm really excited to see what he does against these next two defenses. You know, this Cowboys defense, that's one of the best in the league. And uh, under a lot of people's radar, this Browns defense is one of the best defenses in the league going on the road and facing them. So I'm anxious to see how he responds and how he plays. I think he'll be fine. I, I don't, whatever happens, like if he dominates, I'll be super excited because that's going to be super impressive. If he struggles, I mean, everybody struggles against these two defenses. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not really too concerned. That's that's what happens when you play top flight defense from time to time. Um, but I'm just, just interested to see how he performs and how this offense performs. But, you know, when you talk about the recognition and, and people um, giving him their credit, I kind of have the same mentality that I, I believe this team does. None of this matters. None of it matters. This team in particular will only be judged by whether or not they win a Super Bowl. And it doesn't matter if people think they're the best team in the, in the football in week five or week eight or week 13. None of it matters. The only thing that matters is whether or not they win a Super Bowl. And that's the way this team plays. I remember, um, I think it was after the Pittsburgh game, somebody asked, I think it was Debo, they're like, well, you know, why don't you guys have um, a team celebration after a touchdown or something like that? And people are just like, I mean, I, it don't, it don't matter. I don't care. Like, we're just trying to score. Like, we just, we're trying to score. Like, they, they've been, for lack of a better term, they've been to the mountaintop a number of different times, a number of different ways uh, in three of the last four seasons, and they've lost. The, the uh, three of those last four seasons, uh, at, well, for their ultimate goal, the Super Bowl, winning the Super Bowl. And they know, look, man, we're just coming in here. We're winning these games. We have a goal of getting home field advantage, getting that first round by. But outside of that, they don't get too wrapped in what everybody else is saying. It's just about executing. And if they, if they had to play um, Sac State, for 18 straight games, so what? You know, what I mean? Zach Stater or or the Cowboys for 18 straight games. It doesn't it doesn't matter to them. They just want to go out there and play because they know at the end of the day, the only thing anybody cares about around here and really around the league is whether or not Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers can get over the hump and win the big one. Okay, we now head up north and talk to Arad Asvandi from TSN 1050 in Toronto. Arad, first guest outside the continental United States, kind of a, kind of going against our name a little bit on the podcast, but a lot of cool things going on in Toronto. Blue Jays, unfortunately, just eliminated, but Maple Leafs do start tomorrow night, uh, their season. I do want to move on to the Maple Leafs. Um, Blue Jays season's over, but Leafs season just starting. Um, uh, we're recording this. Much happier about that. <laughs> I know, I know. We're actually recording this on Tuesday. Uh, this uh, is coming out on Thursday, but uh, leaves do start the season tomorrow. Uh, you know, yesterday at the time you're hearing this. What are the you know what are the expectations for the Maple Leafs? Another team that is kind of you know had some disappointment in the playoffs these last couple of years. I mean, what are the fans saying about the Maple Leafs coming up here? Not to be too general of a question. Uh, no, no, I totally understand what you're trying to ask. And just like the Jays, the Leafs, the fans want him to compete for the Stanley Cup. You know, the goal of winning one series is over now. This is a team that got over that hump. Now it's time to win the Eastern Conference and compete for the Stanley Cup. Especially with the injury to Vasilevsky. Especially with the way, you know, Bergeron retired and everybody's expecting the Bruins to take a step back. Other teams in the division... Buffalo and Ottawa, they're young teams. They're so up-and-comers. And Florida has a lot of injuries after the cup run last year. So the fans want to see the Leafs, one, win the Atlantic, and two, win a couple playoff rounds and at least make it to the Stanley Cup final because this is a team that's supposed to compete for championships, not just win a playoff series here and there. Yeah, for the longest time, yeah, they had a hard time, you know, getting over that first-round hump, and they were able to, you know, finally do it last Last year, are the fans concerned though about the Eastern Conference in general? I definitely the better of the conferences, I would say, in the NHL, the Eastern Conference. Um, what are the, I mean, are the fans worried about that? Obviously, the Florida Panthers got 
extremely hot last year. The Bruins were extremely hot all season. They didn't do well in the playoffs, but they were, you know, very hot all season. Uh, you know, Capitals are always going to be good. Tampa Bay's in there too. I mean, what are the are the fans just worried about? Just where they're standing, just even in the Eastern Conference, though. Listen, man, Leaf fans are PTSD, whatever you want to call it. They have it, right? They always expect the worst. They always expect Murphy's Law. Think about it. They haven't won a Stanley Cup in a very, very long time. There are people that have been born and have passed away since the Leafs have won a cup last. So Maple Leaf fans always expect the worst. They always think the worst that is going to happen is going to happen. That being said, there is a lot of optimism this year. There is a lot of optimism that, yes, the, the East as a whole is a strong, strong conference, but the Atlantic, especially with Tampa and with Boston and with Florida, these three teams are not going to be good as last season. So, yes, the worry is always there for Leaf fans no matter what, but there is, I would say, more optimism than the years before based on the fact that Vasilevsky is going to miss a lot of time, based on the fact that Bergeron's retiring and the Bruins are not going to be as good, at least on paper, based on the fact that Florida is going to deal with a lot of injuries to start the season. There is some optimism there by Leaf fans, for sure. Talk about the Leaf side, though, with injury. I mean, are they concerned with Matt Murray being out? Six, I think it's six to eight months, I, mm. I saw. He's out six to eight months, but uh, that's Vasilevsky's net. Got it. Like everyone knows, Vasilevsky is going to be number one. Joseph Wall is going to be number two. And they also got really lucky recently. Martin Jones didn't get claimed on waivers. So they do have three, you know, a proper number one, a proper number two, and a proper number three. So I would say there's no concern for them in net. And, you know, it's an awful thing to say, but I think a lot of Leaf fans and I think management themselves are pretty happy that Murray's out long term so they can put his salary on LTIR and get some cap relief, which is been the number one enemy here for the Leafs since 2017-18 since Tavares came to the team how excited are are um, people to see Austin Matthews after his uh, latest contract he just had one of the best young talent in the league I think he's actually extremely underrated in my opinion Uh, really fun to watch Uh, just got a four-year 53 million dollar extension what are the fans I mean do they expect a breakout year from him fans are expecting 50 plus goals Right. Oh, okay. uh, he was kind of injured last season, but the year before he, you know, broke the all time Leafs record. He got 60 plus goals. No one's expecting 60 plus, but fans are expecting 50 plus goals. Fans are expecting basically a point a game performance from him. And look, man, if he's on ice, he delivers since his debut. Literally, he's been a great player. He's a top line player. And fans are very excited to see what's next for Matthews. And as you said, there was some nerves going into the offseason that he may not sign an extension. You know, he's American, just like many other American players have left Canadian teams recently, like Johnny Goudreau with Calgary. There was some nerves that he might leave. But fans are very happy that he's signed long-term, that he's committed here, and that he's going to keep scoring goals for the blue and white. Yeah, let's talk about um, just about offense thing on that kind of side of the that side of it. Uh, Mitchell Warner, uh, Marner, excuse me, or Marner, damn, excuse me, led the league in points 99 and William uh, Nylander led the league in, or led the team in goals at 40. Um, how, I mean, do we expect them to come back this year and play, play at the same high level they did last year as well? For sure. Uh, Nylander is going to be back on the second line in the offseason. They wanted to switch him to center. He got some reps at center for the second line, but he looks like he's back on the wing. Tavares will be in center there. And they got Max Domi on the other wing of John Tavares, which they're really, really excited about. And then the top line, you got, you know, Matthews, Marner, and uh, Bertuzzi, Tyler Bertuzzi. They're really excited about those two guys. That uh, offside wing was very, very, I wouldn't say suspect because Yarncroke and... Um, uh, Kerfoot or whoever else was filling on the second line did an admirable job but now you got some proper top line top six forwards in Domi and Bertuzzi filling in there so yeah Leaf fans are super excited about the top three lines and the offensive output that they could have uh, my last question I, I always ask this whenever we talk to somebody um, it, it, I mean I know I talked about like with Paul Allen from Minnesota last uh, couple weeks ago about just the wild you know being the state of hockey well 
Canada is the country of hockey, right? And so I always wonder, and I don't know if this is going to be a dumb question or not, but is there added expectation on the Maple Leafs just being one of the Canadian teams in the NHL? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Look, um, like which city are you based from, if I may ask? Oh, no, I'm from Philadelphia, so we don't have much expectation Philadelphia. Right so, on the Flyers. <laughs> well, think about it, though. Like, how much does Philadelphia love the Eagles? Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? They're the number one team, I would assume, in Philadelphia year-round, mm-hmm. right? It's the same thing with the Leafs. Interesting. They are the number one team. They are the most popular team. Even with the Raptors recently winning the championship, Leafs are still number one when it comes to ratings, when it comes to, you know, our shows, uh, generation and fan content. So, yeah, every single season, doesn't matter if they're a cup contender or doesn't matter if they're a rebuilding team. The Maple Leafs have the expectations of the world onto them. And, you know, this is probably the most... Maybe the Rangers, maybe the Canadiens, but I would say Toronto is the biggest hockey market in the world. And the Leafs are probably the team with the most pressure on them season in and season so even out. So even out of the other Canadian hockey teams, do you think the Maple Leafs are one of the biggest markets? Hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, Toronto is the biggest city in Canada, and it's like biggest city, not by far, but by a good margin over Montreal. And people are hockey crazy, man. And people are just not hockey crazy in Toronto. People are hockey crazy in the Golden Horseshoe, right? One third of Canada's whole population lives in lives in southern Ontario, mm-hmm. right? Which is the area between, um, I guess, Buffalo, New York, and Toronto and Kingston. And, you know, they're 90% Leaf fans. And they're all hockey crazy. And, yeah, every single year... They want to see Leafs win. I mean, we take calls after every Leafs game. I should hear some of these fans, man. The highs and lows of what these guys go through is insane. And yeah, Leafs are number one. Like the same way that Eagles are in Philadelphia or Lakers are in LA, right? The whole microscope is on them. Even though there are other teams in the city and those teams are very, very popular, Leafs are always pressure, microscope, everything you want to call it. Okay, we're now bring on Joe Reinigal from ESPN 94.1, uh, The Star in San Antonio. Also, 25 years at Ken's 5 CBS. Joe, I do want to uh, – this has been awesome. I, do, I, I appreciate your time a lot. I do want to touch base on Dallas real fast. I know you mm-hmm. know you were – you covered Dallas. You continue to cover Dallas uh, right now. Uh, Cowboys started the season off really, really hot. Still a really good team. Uh, definitely have flamed out a little bit. Uh, had a smacking on primetime against the 49ers. Mm-hmm. What are the fans thinking? Are they afraid that they might be slumping into their midseason form a little bit? Um, or are they kind of just looking at you know, the last couple of weeks as maybe like uh, just some roadblocks uh, that they have to get over? Yeah, I, I love Cowboy fans. I really do. For us in the media and, and what we do, they're great for business. I mean, they really are. Win, lose, or draw, the Cowboys, everybody's talking about them, especially uh, in this part of the world. Um, you know, Cowboy fans are up and down. It's a roller coaster. When they first started out and they were, you know, blasting everybody and the defense was playing good, it's Super Bowl. You know, there's no problems to historic defense, all of that kind of stuff. And then obviously they kind of stumble a little bit and then San Francisco exposed them uh, as well. But I think the Cowboys have the making defensively, even with the injuries that they've suffered there with Trayvon Diggs and, and Leighton Vander Esch. But that defense is still pretty good. My concern, and most Cowboy fans' concern here, is, uh, is the offense. Um, you know, I think, I think Dak Prescott has been a little bit handcuffed. I think Mike McCarthy's got a little bit of a leash on him uh, as they transition into Mike McCarthy's offense. Dak looked uncomfortable to me. So I think they have an opportunity in the next, what, five or six games. The schedule's pretty easy with the exception of the Philadelphia Eagles. They've got the Rams coming up uh, on Sunday. Uh, and then they've got the Eagles. And then after that, they've got some teams that they really should handle. Uh, so they've got an opportunity to pad the, the win-loss record before the, the schedule gets tougher again. Not only that, but to get their rhythm on offense. Uh, and I think that's going to be key over the next five games or so to see how that offense progresses um, and, and, and how it evolves. I mean, quite frankly, because I think that, uh, you know, there, there's some times Mike McCarthy uh, not going forward on fourth down or taking a shot at the end of a half. Uh, you know, how much trust does he have in his quarterback? You know, that's been a question. Uh, will that change? And so the, the next five games or so are going are gonna to tell a lot, not discounting the Rams on Sunday, 
But certainly that Eagles game in Philadelphia uh, the week after is, is going to tell a lot. How good are the Cowboys and how can they compete against the upper echelon? San Francisco, they didn't do, do so well. Philadelphia, how are they going to do against them? That's going to tell a lot. It's almost encouraging that they did get beat so bad by San Francisco the first time because I don't think that's going to happen again. You know, <laughs> I don't think the Cowboys will, you know, whether, you know, when they play them again at some point, if they do, I don't think it's going to be that much of a, much of a blowout. And then, you know, it's hard to beat teams twice in the NFL. So that might actually work out for the Cowboys favor. What I mean, the fans kind of uh, NFC, you can argue is being better than even the AFC right now, which not many people would actually have considered or thought of before the start of the season. AFC is usually more the dominant league. I mean, are, I mean, what is, is, is Super Bowl still kind of the expectation? Is, is that still kind of the ceiling for, for Dallas Cowboys fans? I mean, yeah, no question. question. I mean, it's Super Bowl or bust. It's what it's been 28 years since they were in the Super Bowl. And you know, that's a long time. And especially Cowboy fans are the most optimistic or arrogant, however you want to say it. And every year it's the Super Bowl. This is the team that's going to go. And um, yeah, I think at this point in time, uh, and, and, and especially Cowboy fans that aren't big fans of Jerry Jones, uh, they want to see what's going to happen. I mean, we've got the uh, the trade deadline coming up Uh uh, on Halloween. And and so, you know, the Cowboys have said that they're not going to really be aggressive in that. And that kind of, you know, gets under the skin of Cowboy fans. They wish they would go out and try and make a splash. Um, I'm not sure that they will or not. I'll take Jerry at his word. He says they're not. So uh, unless something just rolls their way. So we'll see. But yeah, it's definitely Super Bowl. Um, I, you know, it, it just comes into question when you when you start looking at the Dallas Cowboys and whether the criticism is justified or not, is Dak Prescott the guy to get you there? Uh, is Tony Pollard, did they make a mistake of not uh, get, uh, of not keeping Zeke Elliott or replacing him at least with a banger? Um, you know, that, that's, that's been a big criticism. C.D. Lamb up and down, had a great game the last time out. But, I mean, is he, is he really a number one guy? That's a big question. What happened to Michael Gallup? I mean, he seems to have fallen off the face of the earth. Yep. Um, Jalen Tolbert, they're, they're, you know, one of their top draft picks last year, ha has just not done it. So, you know, there's still a lot of questions for the Cowboys, still a lot of football to be played. But, man, um, the, the questions continue, and they will continue after every game. How the Cowboys go, that's how Cowboy fans are. They go in and, and, and smack the Rams around. Hey, it's Super Bowl again. If they struggle with the Rams, it's like, well, you know, what's wrong with Dak? What's wrong with this? So Cowboy fans are a very fickle bunch, that's for sure. That's what makes it a lot of fun, fellas. <laughs> uh, still, yeah, no. Uh, is that a is that a problem? I mean, are you – because it seems like if you're – it's they kind of have the mentality of it's either us and nobody else. Like, do, do Dallas fans kind of – uh, get annoyed by that, how everyone kind of does attack them so much. Cause it seems like if it really does seem like from the national perspective, like outside looking in, if you're not, if you're not one of us, like you're <laughs> against us. And how do the Dallas fans feel about that? I mean, me and Justin, for example, I mean, we're from Philadelphia actually. So we're both, we're both Eagles fans. And I, I I'm hear sorry it. to hear that fellas. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. After, after the Phillies on uh, this past week, I, uh, we always say though, I mean, we care way more about Dallas fans than Dallas cares about us. I, I've heard that many, many times from many, many different people. It seems like Dallas fans, they seem loud, they seem obnoxious, but I don't think they actually are as people think they are and how the media portrays them. Am I, am I right when I say that? I think they kind of get a bad rap. Maybe not quite as bad a rap as you think, because there are some arrogant cowboy fans. I mean, when it when it comes to eagle fans, I mean, you guys know better than I do. Every time I've been to Philadelphia, it's uh, it's pretty rowdy there, and and that that makes it a lot of fun. And I know I know you guys have been disappointed over the last couple of years with the Phillies and and the Eagles and and some of your other teams as well. That they, they they get there and they just can't close the deal. Um, I love Philly fans. It's funny because we. Uh, we went to the Army-Navy game last year, mm -hmm. and Jalen Hurts was having a great year, right? So we get in, a, in, a, in an Uber, and the, and, and, and the guy knows we're from Texas. He starts, we start talking football. And even then, in December, that Uber driver was, man, I just don't know about Jalen Hurts. Everybody here is just waiting for him to fall off the face of the earth. And, and, and obviously, he didn't. He had a great year, and they go to the Super Bowl, and it was a great Super Bowl. 
Um, that's just fans. I, I don't know if fans are that much different anywhere you go. I mean, they're always expecting their guys, uh, the, the guys that wear their uniform, to be the best, to come through. And and I just think it's, it's, it's the same everywhere to a certain extent. Cowboy fans, that's what I deal with the most. Uh, they can be pretty arrogant. And they can be um, territorial, if you will. Like if I criticize Dak Prescott, which I've done quite a bit, I mean, people will fire back and say, hey, you know, that's our guy or, you know, they'll agree with me. So it's it, it, it all depends. But I think for the most part, wherever you go, fans are a lot the same when it comes to their team. OK, today is Tuesday, October 31st. Happy Halloween, guys. Great. Let's go on. Like, let's go through the games that we did not go through yet, guys. Patriots, Dolphins, I don't think we talked about surprisingly. Um, Patriots? Starting to show, I mean, the Dolphins came came away with the win, obviously, but the Patriots are kind of starting to show some life here, uh, or at least, you know, playing better. Uh, even though Mac Jones continues to struggle, the Patriots team has been looking a little bit better so far. Yeah, they're playing pretty well. I, I think a team that we haven't talked about yet that had the most dominant performance yesterday was the Cowboys. They went out and just dominated the Rams from the very beginning. Uh Bland had his third pick six of the year. Dak threw four touchdowns. This game was never in doubt. Like, when people say the Cowboys are the most talented team in the NFC, or at least in that conversation, they just showed you why. They showed you that they are, when they play at their best, Cowboys are a tough out. I mean, they did this without even much of a running game either, but the defense dominated. C.D. Lamb, 12 catches, 158 yards. I think they did the smart thing. They force-fed him. They didn't try to spread it around as they so often do. They just got the ball in the C.D. Lamb's hands, and who knew? The offense actually takes off. Yeah. the defense for Dallas continues to dominate, too. Uh, cornerback Deron Bland continues his remarkable 2023 season, snagging another interception and taking it to the house for a touchdown. Bland is up to four interceptions on the year for the Dallas uh, backfield. Uh, yet yeah, held the Rams' rushing attack also to only 3.8 yards per carry in limited Cooper Cuff to just four receptions for 21 yards. But, yeah, like you said, Zach, Came out immediately in the first quarter, had a huge 17-3 lead, and then uh, Stafford were never able to come back, and especially with his injury, were were just never able to come back in this game. Um, Panthers, Steelers, ugly game. uh, Jaguars, Steelers. Uh, Jaguars, Steelers, ugly, ugly game. Uh, Steelers continue to struggle on offense. They have absolutely no offensive identity. Pickett left – with an injury, he got absolutely slammed to the ground. Um, I I wasn't watching the game, but I was watching Red Zone, and I saw this happen. It looked he got absolutely just demolished. Um, but yeah, yeah. What else, you guys? Jacksonville's a top team yeah. in the AFC. And sure. another thing, I'll say this about the standings in the in the AFC: the divisional leaders are all. It's basically a four way tie for the number one seed right now at six and two. Yep. So Kansas City six and two with their loss, the Dolphins six and two with their win, Jacksonville six and two, and the Baltimore Ravens are six and two as well. Kind of a little bit too close at the end there with the Cardinals. I mean, Aguilar dropped that onside kick there for Baltimore, and that was a clo- that was a close game for them, thirty-one to twenty-four. Baltimore now six and two on top of their division and. Obviously, as I just said, the four-way tie for the one seed in the AFC. And Kansas City right now still, even though they have the loss, they would still have the number one seed right now with a four-way tie because they beat Jacksonville earlier this year. Jacksonville's defense played really well. Um, The run defense continues to play as a top-five unit easily, in my opinion. Pittsburgh – 70 yards on 18 carries, no ball carrier, hit 20 yards. Um, what, do you, what are your thoughts, though, on not putting away the Steelers? Though? Is that kind of for being, as you just said, Justin? No, you know, when, you, when you're when you going on the road and winning in Pittsburgh, it doesn't matter how you do it. The Steelers are a really good defense. Like, no, they won by 10 in a weather in a bad weather environment. The Jags, uh, you know, they don't have to worry about style points. This isn't Yeah, they did have three bad turnovers in Pittsburgh territory. Uh Two fumbles and an ugly interception by uh, Trevor Lawrence as well in the end zone. That didn't help uh, put put the game away either. Falcons-Titans. Don't think we got the Falcons-Titans. Will Levis. Uh, obviously the biggest takeaway from this game. Levis has arrived in Tennessee. 
four touchdowns in his debut. 130 and a half pass ratings. Yeah. Uh, what do you guys? I mean, he played amazing, though. I mean, what do you think going forward for the QB position in Tennessee? They they, they should mean, turn it over to him. He's the young guy. You got an opportunity to grow. Like Tannehill is what he is at this point. The Titans aren't going anywhere with him. You might as well see what you got out of the young guy and let him continue to play. Yeah. Uh, he loves DeAndre Hopkins. Hopkins was on the receiving end of three out of the four touchdowns uh, by Levis. He totaled 128 receiving yards. Just the second time this season he's exceeded 65 receiving yards in a game. So he almost, well, I think he just barely doubled that um, just to, uh, yesterday alone on, or just Wednesday alone. Uh, so, yeah, uh, we've had on uh, John Burton a week or two ago talking about the Titans and the fans definitely are clamoring for uh, Will Levis to have that start and see what he can do. And he finally gave it, they, they, they finally gave it to him yesterday. And yeah, like you said, Zach, I think it's going to be his, his job to lose going forward. Uh, Rams Cowboys already talked about the Rams Cowboys. Uh, Vikings Packers. How about that? Yep. Kirk Cousins out for the year with a torn Achilles. Tough, yep. tough injury to see there for the Vikings, even though they won it's been a it's been a pretty tragic year yep. for the Vikings, I can say. I mean, they they started off 0-3, losing three close games. I mean, they've they've lost some close games and they were starting to turn it around a little bit, beating the 49ers as well, beating the Packers this week. But um but yeah, for the yep. Vikings to lose Kirk Cousins in that situation and Justin Jefferson still on the IR as well. I mean, that's just Vikings, yeah. that's a that's a tough year for them so, so far. I know they're still in the playoff hunt, but yeah. Kirk Cousins, maybe they do move on from him. They can't trade him now, but what do they what do they do at, at the quarterback position? What do you guys think? Well, it sounds like there's a possibility of getting Jameis Winston. It sounds like the Saints and Vikings are closing in on a deal to send him up there. I would I, would, I mean I yeah, I would that would be amazing. It's a I good move that. by yeah. them. Uh, I think he would be so fun with Justin Jefferson, Jordan Addison, which, by the way, Jordan Addison, his stock continues to rise with uh, Jefferson being out. Uh, seven for eight tar- targets yesterday for 82 yards and a touchdown. Um, I mean, he's been playing really, really good. And, yeah, I mean, we'll see. Vikings, maybe that's what they need. Jameis Winston to come in. That's what that's the spark they need. Kirk Cousins, though, I mean, I don't really need, think they need a spark on the QB position. He was playing at a – MVP level really before he went down. He was playing so good. I think I'm going to get your guys' thoughts on this. Do you think he would be in the MVP conversation if they were better, like Kirk Cousins? Obviously not anymore, but if they were had a better record and they were, you know, top in the NFC, do you think that Kirk Cousins would, would have been in the NF, MVP conversation? I think so. I, I I think he would probably be top five for MVP. I don't know if he would win the MVP, but maybe maybe not top five, but the way the media kind of portrays him, I mean, definitely puts up a lot of stats, but just doesn't win the big game. That's, you know, that's the unfortunate part, but Kirk Cousins is a, is a good quarterback. He's not just for this game manager. He's definitely got an arm and he's got some weapons in Minnesota. It's just tough to see him go down and tough to see what, what has happened to, the Vikings this year compared to last year. I still think they have a have a good future, but they just I mean, they gotta fix some things on that team. Yeah, I don't know if um I don't know if the Vikings defense can handle all the interceptions by Jameis though. We'll we'll see. They're definitely not gonna it's not it's not gonna be as uh careful with the ball as they've been used to with, with Kirk Cousins if Jameis comes in, that's for sure. It might might be get the might get the same offensive uh output, but definitely uh the, the turnover ratio will not be the same uh saints colts zach let's talk about your saints um bad day for them obviously my yeah. colts yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. They're, they're weird because they're the only team in the nfl this year that has scored at least 20 points in every game but they keep turning the ball over and they did it again yesterday and the defense gave up too many big plays and you know they're in a weird position because the excitement that I had for them coming into the year was built on the fact that Anthony Richardson was going to be able to develop. Well, that's not going to happen because he's hurt. Maybe he'll develop in the offseason, but this team's kind of yeah. rudderless right now. I mean, they've got a good running game, but again, too many turnovers and yeah. you know, 
When you give up 38 points, you're not winning. Yeah, you mentioned anything. the big plays. Uh, both the Camaros scores came uh, from 15 yards out. Tyson Hill scored from the 20 yard line, and uh, Rashid Shahid. Uh, Rashid Shahid, excuse me, he scored uh, from 58 yards out. So yeah, a lot of big plays for for the uh, for the Saints this past game, and that was my biggest takeaway. Obviously, um, Ravens Cardinals. Don't think we touched on this either. Um, what do you guys uh, think about the Ravens Cardinals game? Touched on it a little bit, but the Ravens definitely. The Ravens are a scary team. I mean, Lamar Jackson. I know he only had 157 passing yards, 18 for 27 with a touchdown pass, but the Ravens are a very sneaky team as well in the AFC. Zay Flowers only had five catches for 19 yards, but the Ravens, a very run-heavy team. Gus Edwards had a good game as well, 19 carries for 80 yards, three touchdown runs for Edwards as well, and Lamar Jackson – continuing to run it with a with five carries for 17 yards. Pretty decent yep. day for the Ravens. And now they are 6-2, and two, tied for the number one seed in a four-way tie, as I just said, with, with the Chiefs, the Dolphins, and the Jaguars in the AFC. Yeah, like you said, uh, Justin, Gus Edwards played really well. He probably might have earned his uh, the starting, you know, the – running back one, I guess you can call it, RB1. So he played really, really good. And that was something that they kind of wanted to see. The Ravens fans wanted to see being of the season, you know, how how well he was going to be able to play. Um, Bengals 49ers, I think we, you know, we touched on this game, obviously. Yeah, already. Uh, yeah. Sunday night game with the Bears and Chargers. <laughs> Not the best Sunday night yeah. game. Should have flexed that one out. I mean, yeah. put on the Bengals well, and the Niners – Put on the Browns and Seahawks. There's much better games. Hey, even Eagles Commanders. I know the Eagles were just on Sunday Night Football, but that's a rivalry game, and that's a always a close game between those two teams. I mean, mm-hmm. why are you putting this game on Sunday night? As uh, Tyson Bagnant had two interceptions, and Herb Justin Herbert, mm-hmm. big game for the Chargers, 298 yards with three touchdowns and no interceptions. But Austin Eckler had a very good game as well, receiving, not just running the ball, but receiving. He had seven catches, 494 yards receiving, and a touchdown. So Eckler had a pretty good game. It combined 100-plus 100, 100 yards in this game for the Chargers as they won it 30-13. to 13. But why was this the Sunday night game? Yeah, um... It's one of those games I can't really tell if, you know, the Chargers played well or the Bears just played really bad. I mean, obviously, it's probably a combination of both, but I really can't tell which side the pendulum's swinging. I mean, I only watched, to be honest, the second half of this game, and I didn't I didn't even watch Bajan play last week either. Bajan, I mean, for when I turned on the game anyhow, Bajan looked really, really bad. Um, he did not look <laughs> good, good at all. I mean, I know, obviously, he's not on the same level as Fields, but that was a... Yeah, it wasn't – nothing I saw from Bajan was really super exciting uh, if you're a Bears fan. And I know they want to see Fields come back as soon as possible. Okay, we're now at the Charlotte and bring on Josh Graham from WSJ, WSJS Sports. Uh, his own podcast, The Drive, with Josh, Josh Graham. Been doing that for over about five years now. You told me, Josh, no Charlotte sports, inside and out, pro sports, college sports. Going to start with the Panthers, break down some uh, Duke basketball as well as far as well as um, some NC basketball. Basketball tipped off just last night in college, and we're going to break it all down with you. Third season ahead, what we can expect. But like I said, I do want to start with the Panthers. Uh, two weeks ago, Panthers did beat the, uh, the Texans at home. How big was this win considering the narrative going on between Bryce Young and CJ Stroud and um how you know how have they built off this momentum going into the rest of the season? Now, of course, they just lost to the Colts this past weekend, but just how big was this win again? Just given this QB battle that they have between the number one and number two overall pick this past year. Well, before Sunday, I would have said it was a really, really big deal, and you could probably make the argument that Bryce is in a better place than C.J. Stroud was, but then. Bryce has literally the worst game of his life. Two pick sixes, three interceptions. The only other time he had three picks in a game 
was his final high school game. Didn't do it at Alabama. Three, four years of high school football, his final game. But the details are important in that. He had five touchdowns in that game as well, his last game at high school. And three interceptions. One of them was on a Hail Mary on the final play of the game. So we've literally never seen Bryce Young play as bad as he did on Sunday. Frank Wright called it a one-in-a-million type game when meeting with the media yesterday. The win against the Texans was important because if you lost at home to C.J. Stroud and then C.J. Stroud threw for a record 470 yards, then every single conversation across the country is that you blew it trading up for the number one pick. Now, there still is a chance that Carolina did that. The problem is we're probably not going to know that until a year, two from now, and people don't like to wait. They like to leap to conclusions. And when you do that, you might make mistakes, like everybody believing that Baker Mayfield was better than Josh Allen after half of a season in 2018 or a few years ago that perhaps – you know, Justin Herbert is better than Joe Burrow because of the first few games as well, where Herbert blossomed a lot sooner than Joe Burrow did. So that's that's the takeaway from the last couple of weeks. And now Carolina has a short week getting set for the Bears Thursday night. What, do you th- what are the fans thinking of Bryce Young during his rookie season so far? Well, there are a few things with that. The Panthers aren't playing all that well. Bryce isn't the problem until Sunday. He wasn't the problem. Uh, the offensive line has been bad. And, you know, some of that, you uh, it's hard to really blame Frank Reich for that because the offensive line was a strength a year ago when Steve Wilkes was the interim coach and you're running the ball predominantly. You're not really r- throwing it all that often. So I think those analytic pro football focus type numbers might have overinflated how good this line was. And more specifically, the left tackle that they took in the top 10, Iki Aquanu. He seems to have regressed. He hasn't been good in pass protection. You lose Brady Christensen in the first half of the first game for the entire season. Austin Corbett, their right guard, who was on the Rams Super Bowl team, he hasn't been available until that Texans game uh, nine days ago. He hasn't been available the entire season. So the O-line hasn't been all that good. So Bryce hasn't been all that good. And that comes to be expected for rookies. And fans generally are not very patient with it, especially when you have an owner that since he took over in 2018 – Carolina has not had a winning season. In fact, they've had the worst record in the NFL since 2019. So fans, they're upset about that. And then the Bryce piece of him not playing all that well, coupled with CJ blossoming the way he has in Houston, has led Panther fans to be understandably very frustrated. So I've heard a lot about the owner obviously taking over. He was from the it was a minority owner with the Steelers or he had a stake in them. Now he That's is right. with the Panthers owning the team. What are the fans thinking of Dave Tepper? If I'm if I'm saying that correctly, David Tepper. That's right. Yeah, and uh, what do the fans think of him so far? Obviously, you just said they've had a losing se- haven't had a winning season since 2018, but. Are the fans starting to blame ownership or? Yeah, that's that's happening. And that happens anywhere when you don't mm-hmm. win. Because you got to consider this. When when there, in the state of North Carolina, you had until Charlotte FC was purchased in recent years and they started professional soccer here. You, you had the Carolina Hurricanes in Raleigh. The Hornets have been irrelevant for three decades. And you have the Carolina Panthers here. And. In 2018, the Hurricanes were purchased by a man named Tom Dundon. The Carolina Hurric- uh, the Panthers were purchased by David Tepper. And at that point, the Hurricanes had missed the playoffs nine consecutive years. People were talking about relocation and, oh my gosh, is, can hockey work in the South, that type of thing. And meanwhile, the Panthers had Cam Newton, Luke Keekley. They were fresh off a playoff appearance in 2017 when he took over the team. So one was riding high. One was as low as you can get. Ever since Tom Dundon arrived in, in Raleigh, the Hurricanes have made the playoffs every single year, the last three years winning their division, and now betting favorites going into the year to win the Stanley Cup, while the Panthers, again, a playoff team with Keekley, Cam, Thomas Davis, the whole deal, Ron Rivera, you're winning his coach in franchise history, and you haven't been to the playoffs one time, and you, you whiffed on the Matt Rule hire. No question about that. Some, a lot of people wanted them to hire Steve Wilkes as the interim coach. 
They hire Frank Reich instead. To be fair, we don't know if, what Frank Reich's going to be yet. It's still too early to decide that. And now you see C.J. Stroud doing as well as he's doing, while Bryce is off to a rougher start, which is you know normal for quarterbacks taking number one, but still frustrating when you see something abnormal like what C.J.'s doing. Yeah, people are pissed. People are pissed at, at ownership, and it's because – this is a team that less than a decade ago was in the Super Bowl. This is a team that the decade before that went to the Super Bowl. This is not the Cleveland Browns. This is not a franchise where the fan base has become apathetic with losing. They're not used to that. And now that they are losing, they don't know who to blame other than ownership because that's the one constant with all the losing. What's the timeline for the team? I mean, going forward, just in general, like you keep, I mean, we don't want to keep banging on the head, but 2018. Um, you know, you haven't had a winning season. What are the fans like? What's the timeline going forward? Obviously, they don't have their first round pick anymore. They traded that to Chicago. Uh, I don't even think as of now they have a first round pick next year in the draft at all. So, no. like, what? I mean, like, what is the timeline? What are fans thinking? Like, four years? Like, three years? Like, what are what are we thinking as far as getting back to the playoff and back to like winning football for this team? Well, Frank Wright was talking about that yesterday, saying that there's a blueprint, and the blueprint is. We, there are players at premium positions that we plan to fill out this roster around next, starting next season. Now, you're right. They don't have a first-round draft pick to build around, but you do have your second because the second-round pick they send, they sent to the Bears was given to them by San Francisco in the Christian McCaffrey, McCaffrey trade a year ago. Mm -hmm. So yeah. they, they, do, they do have more draft picks than some people are giving them credit for. You would like to have that first-round pick if it's a top-five pick, certainly, but that will be worth it if you think you got your quarterback and Bryce Young, and that's really what the next couple of months are about. If you look at other premium positions, you think about left tackle, Ike Aquanu, seems like a bit of a miss, but you have a great offensive line coach, James Campen, who was with the Packers all those years with Aaron Rodgers, that you hope can develop him into at least being a plus player if he's not going to be a Pro Bowl type player. Um, Frankie Louvu has emerged at linebacker, at edge rusher, Brian Burns. you got to pay that guy. He's not going to play this week after having a concussion on Sunday afternoon. Uh, Derek Brown, you don't see a lot of run-stopping, you know, big guys, D-tackle up front becoming available when free agency comes around. So they feel they could build around that guy. And at corner, unfortunately, a guy that you took number eight overall in 2021, hasn't stayed healthy in J.C. Horn. So if if you get him back and he could be somewhat of a plus player for you, and that's just him playing, that's how good he is, then you do have guys at premium positions who can help you and also, it's a given that you want your offensive line to be healthy, too. I don't think this is like a three-, four-year type deal. I think they hope if Bryce Young takes steps that next year this is a team that could compete. And it's hard to argue with it when you look at the current state of the NFC South. So you would say the offensive line is the biggest thing they got to fix up, though, especially for Bryce being obviously sure. that franchise quarterback and getting him kind of developing further? Yeah, I agree with that. Okay. Okay, we now head to the Midwest and talk to Dana Hughes, uh, Dana Hughes, uh, color analyst for the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, Dana, awesome to have you on. Really thank you for your time. Where else can we find you? Where else can we listen to you before we get started here talking about the Chiefs uh, ahead of the season off their bye week? Oh, well, Jared, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. This is obviously a great time to be a Chiefs fan and be a part of the Chiefs organization. And uh, yeah, my name is Dana Hughes. And I do. I am the color analyst for the Kansas City Chiefs radio network. I also uh, have the privilege and honor and am blessed to call college baseball, college football, college basketball for the ESPN networks and some with the Big Ten network. So uh, all the sports that I grew up playing and, and watching and being a great fan of, I got a chance to play college and professional baseball as well as professional football. Um, so just being able to stay in that zone and kind of feel like I still got one foot in the locker room is always kind of cool for me. So I've been doing that for, gosh, 15-plus years. Uh, to my knowledge, I am the only analyst uh, that broadcasts games for all four major sports, which is pretty unique. Okay. Uh, when you consider most most times the analyst is the special, he specializes yeah. in just the one sport that he played. So I've been fortunate that those networks have given me a platform to stay connected to 
all three sports on the college level. Yeah, I would definitely be broadcasting that. That's awesome. Yeah, only only one that you can think of that has done yeah. all four sports at a pro level. That's that's really cool. Uh, I, so we'll get into your playing career. I know you played with the Chiefs as well, obviously. We'll get into that maybe a little bit later. But I do want to start with the team in general as a whole. Chiefs obviously just coming off their bye week, uh, bye week with that impressive win against the Dolphins. Some people still think the Chiefs offense, though, looks a little off. I mean, it, it very similar to the, the Eagles right now. Eagles being the best team record-wise, anyhow, in the NFL. But a lot of people say their offense also looks kind of off. And same thing with the Chiefs last year. I mean, Chiefs, maybe this time of the season, they might not have looked as hot as people thought they were going to look, especially on the offensive side of the ball. You know, wide receiver is kind of a big issue for the Chiefs right now. But what do you say about the people out there that are saying the Chiefs offense just doesn't look as top-notch as it should be, and this might be a problem down the stretch? Like, what do you say to those those people heading into the next Just wait. <laughs> I say just wait. Uh there's nobody, to my knowledge, I've been around the game of football for a long time. Nobody's won a Super Bowl in November. Um, yeah. I don't think, uh, I, I'm sure that the, the the fans in Philly are probably saying the same thing, but I'm sure in that locker room, those guys recognize it's a marathon, not a sprint. And you have to be in a position to always get better. And there are some teams, and you, if you look across the landscape of the NFL, there are some teams that have played their best football already and they have nothing left to add. They have nothing left to grow in. And those are the teams that usually falter as you get to week 14, 15, 16, 17, and into the playoffs. So for me, I am happy in some respect that we're still, there's still growth and opportunity within our offense. Uh, The dominance of the defense to think about like, I don't know in recent history where we've seen a team have the best quarterback, the best tight end in the game, uh, and the best one of the best, if not the best, defensive linemen in the game, and we're talking about just the defense. You have an MVP, a Super Bowl MVP, uh, a record-breaking tight end uh, on the offensive side, and the story of the first half of the season has been what the defense has done. To me, that's a great that's a great attribute that we're not we haven't arrived on the offensive side. But imagine what this game will look like. Imagine what the Chiefs will look like as we wind down in the stretch and we're playing the Bengals going into the playoffs. We got to play the Chargers later in the season. We got a uh, you know a little bit of a gauntlet. We have the Bills still at home. Uh, got to go up to New England for Monday Night Football. Uh, all these different teams that are going to play us just like we are the, the Super Bowl champs, and we haven't even touched the ceiling yet of what our capabilities will be. Now, if this question arises in six weeks and we're still talking about it, then there might be some concern. But to me, halfway through, I'm okay with uh, the, the progress that we're making. Talk about the defensive side of the ball, though. Chiefs, a lot of people look at them as an offensive team. A lot of that's because of Patrick Mahomes, obviously, and what he can do, the magic he can do on the field. But, the, I mean, Steve, Steve, uh, Steve Stagnoli, excuse me. I mean, do you think he's been underrated this whole time? And do you think he might have a ho- head coaching job next year if he continues the success he's had so far with the Chiefs? I mean, it's arguably the best defense that they've had under Patrick Mahomes yeah. so far since he's been there since 2018. Oh, absolutely. Uh, to me, it is the best defense, and the way they're executing on defense is better than how they're executing. I mean, you know, the way they're doing it versus the numbers that they put up, uh, you only allowed one team to score over 21 points, um, to me, has been phenomenal, especially in this day and age where all the rules are leaning towards the offense. Uh, it's about high strike, quick strike type of plays, the spreading of offenses against this defense. And don't forget how young our defense is. I mean, you consider the arsenal that we have on defense is very special, especially in the back end. We had the Fab Five last year, five rookies contribute. One of those guys is down for the year on an injury, but we have four second-year guys that are contributing in a major fashion uh, in the back end. And then with Nick Bolton, our – team leader and tackles, the leader on defense going down. We haven't missed a step with Drew Tranquil, the uh, the acquiree from the Chargers coming in. 
and then Chris Jones being Chris Jones. So uh, I know we could talk a lot about the offense and, and, and what Patrick Mahomes is and has been, but you're right. This is the best defense that he's been playing with throughout his career. Yeah, 15.9 points per game so far allowed. Only, uh, I think it's the best in the league, actually. And it's actually the best the team's had since their 9-0 start back in 2013. So a great, you know, defensive uh, start for the team so far. And I think it's actually one of the most underrated parts of, uh, you know, of this team in general. What about the wide receivers, though? I think, and I know you've already touched on it a little bit in the intro when we started talking, but the wide receivers, I mean, Patrick Mahomes, on pace to have one of his worst passer rating years of his career as mm-hmm. you know in the NFL. Were fans kind of upset they didn't maybe make a move at the trade deadline to help maybe get some help on the passing game for Patrick Mahomes? I think there's always a concern about that, and people will probably automatically look back to Aaron Rodgers' tenure with the Green Bay Packers. I think the biggest knock up in Green Bay is that they had what a three-time MVP and they never drafted a guy before Devontae Adams. I don't think they drafted a guy earlier than the second round or something like that. So there's always that concern is, are you using or uh, not utilizing greatness in the best way by surrounding them with greatness? Um, But what I can tell you is that in using a second-round pick on Rasheed Rice, an early-round pick on on, uh, Sky Moore, uh, in the past years, having veterans that are surrounding them, yeah, we'd like to see if there was if there was a grading process for the first half of the season, you'd have to say that the wide receivers, as far as consistency, uh, hasn't been up to par. But that doesn't mean that that's all they have in the tank. Uh, but yeah, I think the question is valid. If fans, if you don't see super greatness from Patrick Mahomes, you automatically think it's either going to be the offensive line or the wide receivers. The offensive line has done uh, a solid job protecting him. The wide receivers have to step up on their part. So Eagles coming up, obviously, next game for the Chiefs. Do you personally believe the uh, Eagles and Chiefs are another uh, crash course in the Super Bowl coming up this year? I'll tell you what, man. There's there's some strong teams out there. I think Buffalo. Buffalo is one of those teams that kind of resembled the Chiefs a few years ago where – didn't play their fir- their best football early in the season. If you remember the Chiefs uh, before that first Super Bowl, uh, what was three and four or four and three before reeling off like you know seventeen straight wins or something like that. Um, so yeah, I- I'd still put some some uh, some confidence behind the Bills. Obviously, the Bengals after their one and three start, four and zero in their last four games uh, before this past weekend. Uh, they could be a viable team. Don't sleep on the Steelers or the Ravens either. I think there's some sneaky teams on that side. If you're talking about the AFC, NFC, you got the Niners. I mean, to me, the, the crash course between the Niners, the Eagles, uh, the Cowboys, uh, the, the, the Lions. How about the Lions, the Detroit Lions as well, with only two losses there. So there's still a lot of football to be played. It would, be, it would be a cool story to have uh, part two with the Kelsey brothers going head-to-head in Vegas for uh, this Super Bowl. Uh, but, you know, we'll see how it all unfolds. But I think it would be a cool story to see two teams repeat getting to the promised land. Yeah, no, and um, I mean, I know you kind of touched on it already, but, like, more from, like, the offensive side of the ball, like, what do you guys have to see as fans in order to be more confident of them making it? the playoff run for me it's just blowing out teams and taking care of business of teams when they're clearly much better than them i mean mm-hmm. we all know the denver team they lost i mean broncos they lost to that was an unfortunate loss but even some other teams they played this year they've been much better but they still allow the team to hang around a little bit too long and it's been it's it's led to some scary finishes so like what from like a fan perspective like what do they have to see or what are they clamoring to see as we head into the second half, second half of the season here for the Chiefs to be more confident that they're going to be able to make a playoff run down the stretch. So I, I think what a lot of fans fail to realize in the NFL is the true parity that goes on in the NFL. That I, I think our minds kind of gravitate towards high school and college football. And if you see Alabama State play Alabama and you think that one team is significantly better than another, 
they're going to blow them out. And that happens on the college level. That happens on the high school level. Very rarely does it happen in the NFL. So if you look over the course of Patrick Mahomes' career, like he's probably one of the leaders during that tenure or any stretch of six years of winning close games. There's an art to learning how to win close games and knowing how to win close games versus not knowing how to win close games. You look at the Chargers, a team that has routinely over years, whether it was Phillip Rivers or now Justin Herbert, routinely have figured out how to lose close games. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, like to me, that's not a knock. Yeah, everybody would love if you're at GEHA Field at Arrowhead Stadium Monday night against the Eagles coming up, everybody would love for that to be a blowout. But the fact remains is that Patrick Mahomes is going to be an architect of a team, a leader of a team that's going to figure out ways to win, and he's done that throughout his career. So I don't necessarily think that blowing out teams during a regular season automatically equates to uh, Super Bowl champion-esque football. I think we saw that. Uh, the one team that I can think maybe was close to that was the Tom Brady team that only lost one game, that went the entire regular season uh, undefeated. But they got to the Super Bowl, and guess what? They lost. Um, so it's not necessarily a, a recipe for success. Um, what I want is a team that's competitive, that when, it's, when it comes down to the last couple of series of the game, we know how to seal the deal. And that's what we've seen with the Chiefs. So I don't expect anything different. Of course, if you run into a, a juggernaut like the Bengals uh, last two years ago where we lost to them in the AFC Championship, like you don't want to see that happen. Uh, but at the same time, I don't think if we're fully healthy, I don't care how good other teams are playing, if we're fully healthy in January, I'm not sure many teams want to play us, especially if they have, if they have to come to Arrowhead for the sixth straight year. Are fans concerned about the potential of maybe teams figuring out how to lock down Travis Kelsey? I mean, I'm not going to, I know we, I'm sure you talk about Travis Kelsey at length. I don't want to beat a dead horse, but <laughs> I mean, he has over, I think I saw on, on the athletic or something. I think it's like a fourth of the team's catches of almost a fourth of the receiving yards on, you know, the offensive side of the ball too. I mean, I'm not going to bring up Swift. I'm not, I don't want to talk about Swift. I mean, neither, neither of us do at this point, but I mean, what I will ask you, though, are fans concerned about teams maybe finding a way to lock him down? Because, like I said, like we said already in this interview, I mean, other receivers for the Chiefs have been struggling. So if they find a way to lock him down, and or God forbid he gets an injury, I mean, just describe that. I mean, what are the fans thinking just about how vital Travis Kelsey is and, you know, their chances of going far, their success of going far? Well, uh, make no mistake about it, his durability has been exceptional. Uh, throughout his entire career. Uh, the fact that he missed that first game against the Detroit Lions, to me, was a huge factor in uh, our inability to win that game. But his durability is huge. But I, I'd contend that every team in the NFL who has a superstar player, whether it's a defensive lineman, a linebacker, a wide receiver, or a tight end, or even a running back, you don't want to lose that player. Um you know, you look at the Minnesota Vikings, the fact that what they've been able to do over the past couple of weeks with Josh Dobbs without Justin Jefferson is amazing. But when Justin Jefferson went down, there was a lot of concern. Um, so I, I feel like we could be a team. We've shown it with Noah Gray as a backup tight end, with the uh, the uh, elevation of, of Rashi Rice on our offense. Uh, to me, we can still be as a complete team. May not be as potent without when you lose the best tight end to ever play the game. Uh, but I feel confident in our entire team. I think the team does as well. But, you know, there's going to be a time. I mean, everybody gets old, age is undefeated. There's going to be a time where uh, Travis Kelsey, his availability, uh, his potence is going to be questioned, is going to be negated just a bit. That's where the rest of the team has to rally around it. Who, I mean, so who is the team? Who are people most afraid of, though, going to the playoffs? I know you've already said uh, teams to look out for, both on the NFC and AFC side, but who's a team right now that, whether it be the first round of the playoffs, if they don't get to buy, you know, wild card matchup, like who is the team that the fans are saying, like, God, no, we do not want to see you because we have a, we either a bad matchup, they're better than their records say. I mean, what is that team so far uh, for the Chiefs right now? 
Yeah, I think it's probably divided amongst the fan base in the Chiefs kingdom. Uh, we'll have to. We will have had played the on the AFC side. We will obviously play within our division, but we will have already played Miami, like you said. We uh we have the Bills. We have the Bengals coming up. Like those three teams are headed towards that playoff uh, zone. To beat a team twice in a season is tough. We were able to accomplish. We weren't able to accomplish that last year with the Bengals. We weren't able to accomplish that in previous years with the Bills. Um, so to have that be the onus on our shoulders could be a tough battle. Plus, maybe here, like there are people that maybe are tired of those matchups. Maybe want to see something different. Um, I'd say a scary team, like I mentioned, Mike Tomlin and what he's able to do with the Pittsburgh Steelers. And uh, where they stand now, to me, is is something that is scary. Like, that's a team that you would look at, okay, if you're playing in a wild card round, and even if you're playing them at home, you know, with their pedigree, with their history, I don't think they'd go down without a fight. Same thing with the Ravens as well. And when you get to the AFC Championship, I mean, it, you're getting the best of the best regardless. But I'd say – the Miami Dolphins, how potent that team can be. Um, you know, not many teams are going to hold them to 14 points. So you, you have to believe that they'd be better a second time around. So maybe those three teams are the ones that come out to me. 